Hey, y'all. Real quick before I hit play on this episode of Familypreneur for you, I want to be sure that you know that I have a brand new podcast available for you to check out. It's called Just Marketing, and you can find it on this podcast platform. Go ahead and search for Just Marketing and hit subscribe so you don't miss anything. Then come back here and listen to this episode of Familypreneur. It'll still be here waiting for you. Welcome to Familypreneur, the podcast for parent entrepreneurs, raising kidpreneurs. It's time for your weekly dose of inspiration and actionable tips to build your business and find better balance, all while strengthening your family. And now we'd like to introduce your host. She's my mom and the bomb.com, Meg Brunson. Hey there, thanks for joining me on another episode of the Familypreneur podcast. Today's guest is a recovering perfectionist, aspiring homesteader, and a full-blown potterhead living in Connecticut with her husband, a rock star stay-at-home dad and board game enthusiast, and two adorable young boys. She helps moms feel more confident and secure with their money so they can find fulfillment and raise a generation of financially savvy kids. I am excited to introduce you to the founder of Smart Money Mamas, Chelsea Brennan. Hey, Chelsea. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for inviting me on. Oh, I'm so excited. I think that this is going to be such a treat because we're going to be able to talk about both sides of things, right? The family side of it. We'll talk about kind of later in the show, bringing our kids into the money discussions and then the preneur side, right? So us as, as parents and as business owners, um, how we can get clear on money to make big things happen in our lives. Absolutely. I would love to know a little bit more about your background. So tell me about the transition from the corporate career to being a familypreneur yourself. Sure. So currently I run this, I run Smart Money Mamas, which is an educational platform for moms on all areas of money. And I have a four-year-old son, a two-year-old son, and my husband is a stay-at-home dad. But prior to that, in a past life, I was actually a hedge fund manager. So I invested uh, hundreds of millions of dollars at the end of my career is actually managing a $1.3 billion book, which the fact that they gave someone in their 20s that much responsibility is a little bit frightening. And the job was intellectually stimulating, but it provided zero impact on the positive impact on the community. And the work hours were just really difficult. So I wanted to do something that mattered more. And after having my boys, I really got connected with how much I love talking about personal finance and personal finance as a way to reduce stress, not as something that causes stress. <laughs> so I started to uh, talking to other moms in my mom's group. I had a group of moms that all had kids born the same month as my first child. Mm -hmm. And I had become like go-to person for any money questions. And after a while, I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a blog. You guys send me all your questions and I'll write blog posts. And in the first two days, they sent me like 63 questions. Wow. So I published a blog post every day for 45 days when I started the blog. Um, and then that was it. So like uh, 10 months later, I left my hedge fund job to start Smart Money Mamas full time. My son was, my second child was about to be born. He was born a few weeks after I left my job. And we just went, it was crazy. We jumped in with both feet. My husband was very supportive of making this change, which was a little bit scary because he didn't have an income, right? He was a stay-at-home dad. Um, but we'd kind of built this runway and gave ourselves some space to, to grow the business um, by leaning on the savings we'd done in the past. I love that you were able to rely on a group that you just organically had that wasn't at all related 
to business. It was just a, a normal, natural group that you were in and that they contributed so much. Like just asking those questions had to, I know content creation can be stressful. So that had to have been a huge relief for you. It was, it was huge. And it was, they were so encouraging. Cause I think at the time I knew almost nothing about online business, right? My, my day-to-day job was so far removed. I didn't know if blogs made money. And definitely when I started, it was just meant to be a hobby. It was not monetized at all until I left and, and legally it couldn't have been um, based on my old job. But I just wanted to help them answer questions. And frankly, I've been answering the same questions over and over. So I was kind of like, okay, let's get this all in one place. But they were huge. They helped me name the business. They they all voted on logos. They like supported me when the site got out, uh, got published, and and it was just a huge benefit. They actually still kind of celebrate with me every time we hit a new milestone. We launched our podcast last week, and they were all sharing it and writing reviews, which was really cool. And how long has it been from like then until now? So our three year anniversary of the blog was last week, actually. Or the recording is in March, so <laughs> a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's been three years since we started the official site, and a little, a uh, little over two since I left my job. Well, congratulations and happy Thank anniversary! You. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, I'd love to know what was the first thing you did to monetize this blog. I know you said like you started the blog, but you didn't really know if it would make money, and you couldn't really monetize it when you were working. So, I mean, that had to have been a little stressful because you couldn't even start the business until you left. What was the the first way that you monetized? Yeah. So the first thing we actually did was, and this isn't monetizing the blog so much as just monetizing the skill set, is I used the blog as evidence of my writing skill and I went out and did some freelance writing. We actually left and all the moms in the audience will understand the stress of this. My water broke uh, when I was 32 weeks with my second. So we were in the hospital. This is what made me leave my job. I was in the hospital. We were waiting to have a preemie baby. Things were really stressful. It was like right before the holidays in December. And my job was like still sending me requests, right? And like, whatever. And I was like, okay, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) I'm not enjoying this. So we kind of looked at our finances and decided that we could leave. But then this like reality hit, right? Of like, my son ended up, um, my water resealed, which is not something that I knew could happen. And he carried to term and he was perfectly healthy. And that's all, it was all wonderful. But as soon as things stabilized a little bit, I was like, oh my gosh, we no longer have any income. (laughs) Like I need to do something right now. So we, I started freelance writing uh, quite a bit. And then that summer, I launched our first digital product, um, which was a family emergency binder. It's a fillable PDF. It helps families organize everything from like day-to-day, just general stuff of like if your parents are watching the kid and they need to go to the doctor to um, estate, more estate planning level stuff. And this is something that I think a lot of parents know they need, but they don't know where to start or what information to write down. So I put it in all one workbook. It's all fillable. And at first, because I was afraid of monetizing, I was going to make it a free download. And I luckily had friends and, and masterminds in my life that were like, okay, first of all, no one will get the value of this if you give it away for free. It's too overwhelming. And you put too much into this to, to do that. So you should launch it like a product. So we launched it. We did it like a big, huge launch. We brought affiliates in. We did all the emails. I did all the Facebook Lives. And that was our first kind of dipping our toe into monetizing. Awesome. I love hearing how people transition, you know, how you went from the blog, which is free to leveraging a skill that you knew probably knew back then wasn't going to be like the skill you were going to use forever copywriting, but you knew you could use it to bring in some income and launching the digital product to have a little bit of a passive stream. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with me. I know it's a little off topic, but I love hearing the background. And I know a lot of our listeners will benefit from that as they're going through similar processes, trying to find their ideal monetization. Absolutely. Very relevant for the entrepreneur mamas. 
let's transition now over to the money side to your bread butter. Let's talk about some of the biggest, maybe let's start with some of the biggest um, mistakes people are making when it comes to money. I think the biggest mistake is avoidance, right? And there's this sense that like, if everything was good with money, I just wouldn't have to deal with it. When the re- it's like money is part of every element of our lives. It, does, it decides, helps decide where we live, where we send our kids to school, what food we eat, right? It is all embedded in our, in our lives. So if we take the time and really analyze our relationship with money, uh, a lot of us have money shame and money baggage that comes from childhood or from early adulthood that we've just never dealt with that makes it really hard to stick to new things. Um, but if we start paying attention, we can actually lift some of that shame and stress and anxiety and give ourselves freedom to design a life we really want, right? A lot of us feel trapped by money and by our current situation of like, I could never leave my job and start a business because I don't have any money or I can't get out of debt because it's just emergency after emergency, right? So really sitting down and paying more attention, I think is the first thing uh, we need to do. And what are, it's going to be so hard. I feel like everybody's, you just touched on a couple different situations. Some people may be dealing with debt or, you know, but what are some of the, the strategies for, for being able to face those issues and overcoming them. Yeah. So I think the first thing, and this is going to be, <laughs> it's going to touch a little bit on the like emotional touchy feely side for some people. I know that I tend to be more black and white type A. So this was a little scary for me at first when I was dealing with my own money issues. Um, Cause there's a difference between understanding the, the practicality and the fundamentals and then actually being able to implement it in your life. Right. So I think the first thing to do is to take a step back and sit somewhere comfortable, right? Find a quiet space. I know this is hard with kids, but let them watch TV for half an hour or wait till after they go to bed, right? Or when they're at school. Sit in a quiet place, get your favorite mug of whatever drink and a notebook and say, okay, what emotions do I associate with money? Like what, how do I feel about money? And then ask yourself what your first money memories were. And this is actually like your first money memory might not be your earliest one. You might not be four years old, but it's whatever comes up first. It could be when you were a teenager, when you got your first job, whatever it is. And then think about why that, why did that memory stick with you so closely? Because for most of us, when we actually sit down and we write it down, it's a very small moment. But in that moment, we decide something, right? We decide that money is evil or that we never have enough money or that, you know, (laughs) whatever the decision is, there's a lot of different ones. But when we actually reflect on it, we notice that we made that decision with the perspective of a child, right? And we didn't have all the information and that there's often contradictions inherent in whatever that decision was. So getting it out into the open and into the light of day gives you some space to kind of start to release it, right? Hmm. So we start there. We start with like, let's talk about our, our most strong money memory or two or three of them. And then move forward. What relationship do you want to have with money? And for parents, one of the biggest breakthroughs we can have with them is they, they get stuck on that. Like, well, what do you mean? What relationship I, do I want to have with money? So we sw- flip the question and say, what do you want your kids to believe about money? Like if they grew up, what would you want them to know? Would you want them to think that they have the power to earn all the money they'd ever need? Would you want them to believe that they're in control of their future and their destiny and they just need to be um, intentional with their money? And then start to build habits that serve those things. And we're not going to overnight change everything to do with money, right? You're not naturally going to become a daily budgeter paying attention to everything. But if you can attach to say like, okay, every day I'm going to write down my new money belief or I'm going to read it on the background of my phone and I'm going to do something that day that aligns with that, right? I'm going to go read one blog post. I'm going to listen to one podcast episode. I'm going to check my bank account balance. It can take less than five minutes. But as soon as you get the ball rolling, 
and like change your mindset, it all gets a little bit easier, right? You start to learn the skills and to build the systems that you need. And I already know like that chunk is going to be like, pause the podcast here, rewind (laughs) it. Okay. And then take notes because it was so hard. I was trying so hard to listen and think at the same time. Oh yeah. And I cannot wait to do that exercise. I know um, my husband and I have very different ways of handling money. Mm -hmm. So I feel like an exercise like that is going to be a really great tool for me, who is the one that handles money worse, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) much better at it than I am. Um, But I like how you broke down the goal setting by involving our kids. Because if you asked me just to set those goals, I'd be like, lost. But (laughs) I know how I want my kids to handle it. So I really love that exercise. Yeah. And there's two things you brought up there that we talked about. You asked at the beginning what the mistakes were. And I think there's two that popped up there. One would be around goal setting. And I think this is another place where we're like, oh my gosh, Dave Ramsey says I have to get out of debt. Like my goal now is to get out of debt. But if we haven't got into the root of why do you need to get out of debt and why you need to get out of debt is that is not that you want to stop paying interest payments, is that you want to use that money for something more important to you, right? So when we think about goal setting, when I think about goal setting, I want you to sit down and say, like, what does my ideal day look like? What does my ideal life look like? What work am I doing? What are my kids doing? What opportunities do they have? And what are the steps that I have to get take to get there? And likely getting out of debt is one of those steps and saving an emergency fund is one of those steps. But if you can tie it back to something that is emotionally truly important to you, all those steps get easier. If you're just getting out of debt because some guru told you to, by week two, you're going to be like, screw this, I'm done. Right. (laughs) So that's the first thing. The second thing is your spouse. Um, This is something we hear from moms in our community all the time is like, I can't start budgeting. My husband's not on board. He's just going to blow it. And so we're just going to stay status quo until he's ready for things to change or vice versa. Um, But you got to start with what you can control. And for the moms in your audience, I want to encourage you that like 90% of consumer decisions are made by women and over 80% of financial decisions, like financial, which financial institutions we use, how we budget, 80% of that is influenced by women. So you have a lot of power and you can just start with what you can control. If you do all the grocery shopping, focus on reducing the grocery budget and putting that money towards whatever it is, whatever your goal is. And he'll, he or she will pick it up as you go along, right? If you just say like, hey, I'm working on this and we just paid off a student loan, they'll get excited, right? They'll, they'll find their way there. You can't force them to do that work. But like you said, the exercise of, of going back through your old money beliefs is really powerful for couples starting that conversation to do that exercise separately and then come back together for a money date, literally go out somewhere, somewhere fun and talk. And one of the, my husband and I did this, have done this a few times where we go sit together and it's one person's turn to talk until they're done talking. Like the other person doesn't say anything. And we gave, and for my husband, who's not a money nerd, right? Like I gave him questions of like, what are your first money memories? What did it mean to you? How did your parents handle money? What do you feel about money? And we just let him talk it all out. And like, what does his ideal day look like? And then it was my turn. And like, we both took notes while the other person was talking and we brought it together And that's how we really built a plan that worked for both of us instead of just trying to force their thoughts or not really understand where your spouse is coming from with money because it might be very different from how you think about money and what your money fears are. Right. And it it would seem that it goes beyond 
uh, like how much money. It's not how much you had. Yeah. It's more the emotions behind it, which totally makes sense. Because I think that's one of those other things that we learn as as adults is that it's not just making more money. Like that doesn't solve the problems. I mean, I remember feeling like once I hit five figures, once I hit six figures, and it's like more money doesn't solve anything because there's like you're saying there's deeper rooted emotional issues. There's so many deeper rooted things. It comes, I always use that stat that um, f- uh, lottery winners are four times more likely to file for bankruptcy than the general public. So the idea that this giant windfall is not going to solve all your money problems. It, it'll solve some problems. Like if you're really struggling to put food on the table and keep a roof over your head, obviously money solves that problem. But when you're beyond that point, you've got to deal with the, with the in- internal. And when you said that it's not tied, your money stories are not necessarily tied to income. I always think of that Tony Robbins example that he grew up uh, very, very poor. And some people brought food to his house for the holidays. They like were as a donation. And his mother took it as we're useless. And this is charity that's like shaming me. Whereas he as a child in that moment was like, people are, gr- are, are giving and I want to be able to give back to the world someday. Right. So our reactions to the same moments can mm. be really different. So having that conversation, regardless of upbringing is really important. Awesome. Well, I think these are, those are some great exercises and some great tips. So I want to thank you so much for that. I'd love to also bring um, our kids into this conversation too. So I feel like what you've, what you've talked about before, it's going to help us as, as parents figure some things out. And then how yeah. do we actually apply that to our children who are watching? And <laughs> I mean, these kids, I swear, you don't even have to say anything. They just perceive things like they just know. So how do we teach right. them about money in a way that's going to stick? Sure. So there's three levels of this. I'm going to say the first one is you just answered it, right? Okay. It's they're watching us and it's we got to take care of our own crap because they are learning from what they see us and where they see tension, right? Especially little kids pick up on all our emotional responses to things, right? So if we're feeling stressed about money, if we're feeling overwhelmed, if we're arguing with our spouse, even if we're not arguing in front of them, they pick up on all of that. So the more we can find our own stability and empower ourselves with money, the more they're going to learn positive relationships and positive habits. The second stage is absolutely giving them as many opportunities as possible to practice with money, whether that means an allowance system or a way that you're encouraging them to do jobs around the house for pay, but letting them have small amounts of money that they have control over. There's two stages of that. I think the first is encouraging them to save, spend, give, learn that process of that money flows, right? We want to make sure that they understand that like money is not this limit, limited thing that we have to hold on to white knuckled, that we want to give to our community and let money flow through our community. That's the, the giving column. And there's people less fortunate than us. We always want to benefit that there's things in the future that we're going to want. So saving is important. And for little kids, if your kids are in that like five to eight range, I don't like the idea of putting all that money in their college fund, right? It's going to be small amounts of money anyway. But for them, their brains aren't developed enough yet to understand something that's 15 years out. It basically to them is going to feel like you're taking their money away. And that can build some negative ideas about money, especially around power and money that your parents are taking that away from you. So instead, I would set a goal, right? Like take them to Target or take them somewhere or scroll Amazon and find something that's a little bit of a bigger toy. And when they're little, that might be a $20 toy print a picture of it and help them create a savings chart, right? It might take them a few weeks to save up, but starting to build that practice of delayed gratification and saving is hugely important. And then their spending jar, 
in the spending jar is really easy for them. And it's really hard for us. Because it's all candy. <laughs> because it's, well, candy, <laughs> candy's a whole other thing. You can decide as a parent whether you want to let them buy candy. But it's all crap, yeah. right? They're, go, they're going to the gumball machine, they're buying whatever. And we have to let them do that. And that's the hardest thing for parents yes. is that we have to let them make the mistake, right? <laughs> I know that people can't see me, but as you're telling us, I'm just like laughing, rolling my eyes because <laughs> at, for my kids, it's like candy and junk food. And, and we do place limits. I don't want to sound like, but oh, yeah. it's like, that's all they want. And, and that's the thing too, right? Like it's, they're going to buy the little toy that breaks or that they don't really want, or they're going to buy something as soon as they walk into the, you know, the town fair and find something 10 minutes later that they wanted more and they're going to have already bought it. And this is the hardest part, right? It's A, to let them do it. And then B, to let them feel the consequences. So if they get in and it breaks and they don't like it and they're upset and they're mad, don't give them more money to then get something else. You have to, in that moment, say like, okay, well, let's talk about the decision that we made here. And that they might not want to do that in the moment, but the next day, a few hours later, coming back and having that conversation lets them learn. And it's painful. It's hard to watch your kids struggle, right? But I'd rather them struggle with a $5 or a $20 loss than a $2,000 loss when they're older or a $20,000, $30,000 loss about choosing a more expensive college without thinking it through and ending up with $30,000 of student loan debt, right? Um, This is the time to make those mistakes. Oh, I love that. I feel like you just said so much stuff that, that that I haven't really thought about. We did the save, save, spend, give. So I love, love, love that. We've had our own little jars. We've made our own little jars. This is, so this is totally random, but I'm just curious on your opinion. Have you seen, um, they've got like debit cards that they're, marketing like specifically for teens so i know that's an older group do you have an opinion on whether older like that those teenage kids should be using a debit card versus using cash like is the debit card practice helpful because that's kind of what grown-ups do all the time yeah so there's a couple companies that do that um there's Rooster, there's Greenlight, there's FamZoo. They all do that at different levels. I'm actually a huge fan of that as soon as your kid has a smartphone. So if your, your kid has a smartphone and they're 9 and 10 or if they're 13, whatever the, the range is, it, it's exactly what you just said, is that the mo- most of us are going to use plastic. And the idea of budgeting with cash is great for control. There's some adults that just have overspending problems that cash is always going to be a better choice. But the reality is the vast majority of our spending is moving towards plastic. And that's not something that you can see, feel, touch the money. So giving them an opportunity to learn how to watch the balances on their phone and learn how to budget with with a swipe is just another place where they get to practice early. And those apps are really cool for a lot of reasons, one of which um, there's always budgeting tools built in for your kids so they can set money for different things. Parents can set limits of like, okay, they can't use this card at certain stores or whatever. Um, And if your kid ever gets stuck, and this is where we hear a lot with parents of teenagers, they're out, they're at a they're out at a sporting event or something and they get stuck and they need to get dinner or they need to get a cab home and they don't have any money you can load the card instantly. So you can say like, I'm going to put an extra 20 bucks on for you to be able to get home. And so there's a safety aspect to it too. But I really like that they start to practice early budgeting that digital money because they're going to have to do it at some point. Well, I love that. Number one, that was like a question that I just threw at you. Like we weren't prepared to talk about that. So I'm glad that you could answer it. Um, (laughs) And I'm glad that you highlighted some of the benefits to that. Because my next question was going to be like, are they really necessary versus a bank? 
you know, just getting them their own checking account. But I can see how some of those additional limits mm-hmm. are going to be extremely helpful. And my kids aren't old enough to need it yet. But I'm also glad that you pointed out that the cell phone is kind of the um, the gauge, right? Like when, yeah. when I decide to finally give my kid a cell phone, she could also handle that. And some parents started early because you can check on your phone, right? So some parents started earlier than that if it's good for your kids, if they're ready for that mental level. But there is that brain development aspect of it too, where can they handle something so abstract where it, right. or do they need the physical? So I, I think under age eight or so, I really encourage using the cash. Um, and we still talk to, you know, my oldest is four. We talk to him about the digital money. Like he helps us. He always hands over the credit card when we're in the grocery store or something. We talk about how mommy works and the money goes on the card and drive the card. And there's it's a limit that it's this unlimited thing. Um, but yeah, I would I would gauge till they're old enough to understand the abstract. That's definitely a discussion my kids need because the other day, you know, I told them that we were short on money and we couldn't do X Y Z, and they said just go to the machine and get some cash. <laughs> I was like, that's not that's not how it works. <laughs> well, and I think that a lot of kids get their, this is they, they go to, they turn 18 or they go to college and they get their first credit card offer in the mail. And I think a lot of them, even if they logically understand that it's not free money, there's part of their brain that's like, oh, awesome. We have a free money card now. <laughs> like everything, everything is better. And then they end up in debt that, that, that plagues them for years. So that they can't pay off or they're just going to pay the minimum payments, which means it's forever, like 80 years. To- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, that, what I just said, jumping back a minute, I wanted to ask you this too. Um, are there specific, what's your opinion on, on talking to kids about something not being, you know, do you say it's not in the budget? Do you say we can't afford that right now? Are there like damaging words that we shouldn't be using with our kids when it comes to discussing our finances? So the biggest one that's most common is we can't afford it. And this is, I know there's a truth to it, right? There's not money in the bank account right now, but phrasing it as, um, it's not in the budget. Um, we have other priorities. So this is this is something that if you're in the store and you're already buying things and they want another thing, start to explain the put and take. Like, okay, if we get that, we have to put this other thing back and start to understand um, consequences and, and limitations that way in budgeting. But saying it's not in the budget, it's not what we're, it's important to us right now. How could we afford it? And start to give them options of like, okay, do you want to... S- Set this as your goal for your savings jar. Um, do you want you currently you're currently saving for a new Nerf gun? Would you prefer to save for this other thing you want to do? Something that comes up from our for our parents a lot is like vacation, right? Kids, they're like, I want to go to Disney World, right? That's big, and I think that that's a place that especially if your kids are in that six to seven age or higher, as soon as they get to the point where they understand some basic math. It is okay to talk to them of like, all right, let's look at all the ways we could go to Disney. Like we could go and we could stay in our Airbnb. We could stay at Disney. This is how much tickets cost and set a budget, figure it out. And then say like, okay, if we want to do this, we have to save this much money. That means that we're not going to be going to the movies once a month anymore. And we're not going to go out to dinner and we're going to put a chart on the wall and we're going to color in our Disney savings fund. And it might take a while, but letting them understand what we're working on as a family actually is tends to be empowering for kids. Most kids, it, a lot of parents are worried about creating anxiety with money with their kids and this idea that like they're going to feel overwhelmed, that they, that it takes this long to save, but really for them to get excited, they feel involved, feel included and treated more like an adult and it gives them some space. And you'll find your kids are willing to say like, Hey, I don't want to buy this new book. I want to go to the library because they, they're very intuitive about it. So I'd start there. But yeah, definitely saying like, I can't afford it 
gives this real scarcity mindset for kids that gets hard to break as they get older. Now, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business. So I know you've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, I want to talk about the podcast and I know it's a ways away, but I'd still like to talk about your summit and share with us because money is just such a big issue and there's so many different ways it can go. And I'm sure that among all of our listeners, everybody is going to have a different pain point. So I would love to just give them, give everybody a resource or a couple different ways that they can connect with you, learn more about you and get some of their questions answered. Absolutely. So money is very multifaceted. So at Smart Money Mom is on the blog and the podcast. We touch all different areas of money. We'll start with goal setting and money mindset to budgeting and debt management and investing, which is definitely close to my heart, right? With my old background through like estate planning and life insurance, the whole nine. Um, and then we also talk about definitely some motherhood stuff around earning money about work being a working mom, choosing to start a business. We, we cover a wide breadth. I think the biggest thing um, is that our podcast will work in themes. So it's easy to get overwhelmed. So like our first month of the podcast, which is February, was all, is, was all mindset. So if you're new to this and you're trying to figure out how to start to heal your relationship with money, you know, visit the podcast, scroll back to the beginning and listen to all the mindset stuff. It'll really help you kind of get squared. There's a free resource linked there on setting healthy money mantras, like healthy money stories. So that's there as well. And we also have a goal setting freebie, which you guys can find at smartmoneymamas.com backslash familypreneur. In the fall, like you mentioned, um, one of the big aspects of our business is community and feeling like money is one of these last taboos that we just can't talk about, that we're all struggling with alone. So we have a very positive, no shame community throughout the year. And once a year in October, we come together, we bring in over four. 40 speakers, we talk about all areas of money, and we give moms a place to really talk about it. So if you're feeling like you're lacking that community, come check us out in the Mamas Talk Money Facebook group or join the summit in October, which I know is a while out. But that's kind of our, our business as a whole. Well, I'd still, if there's a link, I'd still love to add it to the show notes, maybe for a wait list or something for the summit. Sure. Yeah. If you go to mamastalkmoney.com, there's the, the, the wait list is there as well. So I will link to all of that in the show notes. And then are you online? Where can people, where's the best place to connect with you on social media? So we're at Smart Money Mamas on all platforms. I definitely spend the most of my time on Instagram. So if you want to come hang out, we're over there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much information about your story and your business and just kind of how you got up and running. And then, of course, tips and tricks to help us as familypreneurs to get through our own money blocks and help us build the lives that we want to live. Thanks so much for having me. This has been wonderful. That's it for today's episode of the Familypreneur Podcast. You will find all of the links mentioned in this week's episode and the show notes at megbrunson.com slash podcast. Until next week, I'll see you over in the Familypreneur community. Bye for now. Don't miss my mom's next episode. Bye.